0: Right. Good morning, family. Glad to have all of you here today. Thank you, sir. Excited to be together. I'm excited to have so many guests with us. It's exciting because for us, this is really like this isn't just something we do every week. This is something that we crave. This is something that we need, and we need it because this is a place where real things happen. It's not a place where you go and you just listen to something for a few minutes and check your box and go on. It's a place where we engage with each other. It's a family where we connect with each other and and deal with each other's problems and and invite God into our lives in a way that's meaningful and and that changes the way that we live day to day and changes the impact that we have on our world. And I love that more people are getting a chance to experience that, and we want to welcome you into it. Um, We're in a series right now called The Miracle of Mercy. And it's a series about how God comes into our life when we need Him the most, when we deserve it the least, and does incredible things. And last week, we talked about how God's mercy helps us overcome our failures, because we all mess up, we are all flawed, we all make mistakes, and God's got mercy to cover that and, no matter, and take us no matter where we are and pull us back into a loving relationship with Him and into a life that's powerful and, and meaningful in this world and this week, we're going to talk about, because we talked about how God doesn't just help us overcome our failures, but that He also has a purpose for us, and He has a reason for not just saving us and pulling us out of our mess, but, but making us powerful, giving us a, a, something to do in this world that, that makes a difference. And so this week is all about how God can and will use you to do powerful things if you'll let Him. And you, if you'll look in your bulletins, we've got Romans 6, uh, 13 through 14. You've got notes in there that you can fill out as you go and it says, so then refuse to surrender your body as a tool for wickedness. Instead, passionately answer God's call to keep yielding your body to him as one who has now experienced resurrection life. You live now for his pleasure, ready to be used for his noble purpose, and remember this, sin will not conquer you, for God already has. You are not governed by law, but governed by the reign of the grace of God. That grace, that mercy that God gives us, rules our life now, and we act different because of it. We treat others differently because of the grace that we've gotten. And a lot of us have found it honestly hard to believe that God would use us or could use us. And there's a couple different reasons for that. We usually either feel disqualified or unqualified. We feel disqualified sometimes because of things that have been done to us or things that we've done. And we said, God can't, you don't know my history. You don't know my baggage. God's not, You all you look great and you know, all you look fine and like you've had a good life." but my mess cannot be overcome. My mess is, is, has broken me to the point where I am disqualified from use in any meaningful way or, or the ability to do something great in someone else's life. Or we feel unqualified and we look at what he can do or what she can do or, or the answer they gave in Bible class and I'm like, that's just not me. Like, I'm just not that person. I'm not, I'm not equipped like that. I'm not enabled like that. I don't have those abilities. I can't sing like that. I can't talk like that. I can't walk up and talk to people like that. And so that's just not me. And so we disqualify ourselves or we, un- we feel unqualified. And if that's where you're at, I get it. And I have absolutely been on both sides of that. But I will tell you that if that is where you are, then you, are, you could not be more wrong. That there is, there is so much evidence in Scripture to tell you um, that, that you and I, when we feel that way, are just dead wrong. That there is no one that is disqualified or unqualified for use in God's kingdom. And that's amazing news because we all feel that way from time to time. And so what we're gonna look at is we're gonna look at Paul's story. And and Paul is one who was used in some of the most incredible ways in all of Scripture, but also had some of the worst baggage of anyone in Scripture. And both of those things were true. And I would say Sometimes there were even times when, because he had the most baggage, he was able to do the most good. Right? Isn't that crazy? Like that's the opposite of how we look at things. But for God, it's not a problem at all. For Jesus, that's never something He's been afraid of. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at one of the most effective Christians who ever lived, the Apostle Paul, and we're going to look at his secrets for staying usable. How was God able to use him in mighty ways, even though he had his stuff, even though he had his story that was that was maybe a little spicier than he would have wanted it to be? Right? Um, so, and we got some we got some seasoning in our story sometimes. So, um, Paul's first secret to staying usable is he relied on God's mercy as his motivation. I need to rely on God's mercy as my motivation, and there are a lot of things. I am one. Motivation has been a huge struggle for my whole life. I do not. I don't want to be motivated. I want to be lazy. I want to sit around. I resent you sometimes when you try to motivate me. It's it's not welcome right? And so motivation's a struggle. And so I've tried all these external things to motivate me, like, you know, setting these short-term goals and all these different little things that I do. But at the end of the day, there is no greater motivation than gratitude. There is no greater motivation than, than honestly feeling like I have been giving something I do not deserve. And the reason that that's so powerful is that it takes it out of yourself, right? When I'm trying to motivate myself, I am full of reasons why I can't do it. I'm just thinking about all the times I failed in the past. I'm thinking about how lazy I've been and and how many times I've let people down. And it's all me, 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 me. I am the reason this will not work. But when I'm motivated by, by mercy and gratitude of what God's done for me, it's not about me. Right? I cannot help but do something different because God has done something so incredible in my life. Because he's forgiven me of so much and because he's done so much to carry me along. I can't help but live differently because of that. No matter how I feel about it. Right, my feelings don't really matter at that point because I can't help but do something different because someone's done something like that for me. In 2 Corinthians 4, 1, it says, God in his mercy has given us this ministry and work to do. That's why we don't become discouraged and never give up. It says that, that God was merciful in giving us this ministry. And sometimes we think of ministry as something that we've got to give up our day job and take a paid position to do, and that is not true. It's not anywhere in scripture. None of the apostles had paid positions. Jesus, when he said, when people said, I'll follow you in your ministry, Jesus said, I don't know where I'm going to sleep tonight, right? Like, not only is he not on salary, right? He was homeless, right? Like, he was just, he didn't even know, he literally did not know where he would lay his head that night. And so there is no, circ- ministry isn't a job, it's not a position, ministry is using the talents that God gave you to help someone else. If you are doing that, if you are using something that God gave you, even if it's the breath in your lungs, to love on someone else, you have a ministry and you're doing it. And that anyone has access to that. That's not for the, uh, the religious elite. In fact, oftentimes in scripture, the religious elite weren't the ones doing it. They were the last ones to do it. It was the people on the street. It was the people who really understood real life. Those were the ones doing real ministry. And I think when we really understand and we appreciate what God's done for us, it shapes the way that we serve. And remember mercy, well, the way we define mercy was it is undeserved forgiveness and it is unearned kindness, right? It is kindness when you can't pay it back, and it's forgiveness before you deserve it. And that's powerful stuff. That changes you. When someone, when you have done something that is just wrong to somebody, and they just come up to you and they accept you and love after that, I can't treat that person the same anymore, right? Like that changes the way I interact with you. That love that you've shown me changes the way I, I work. In 2 Corinthians 4 8 through 9, it says, We often suffer. But we are never crushed. Even when we don't know what to do, we never give up. In times of trouble, and this is why we don't give up, in times of trouble, God is with us. And we are, when we are knocked down, we get back up again. See, mercy, God has the mercy to keep picking us up. And that answers both of our objections to being, to being used, to the feeling of being disqualified or being unqualified. Because when I understand mercy, I don't have to prove my worth. Right? I'm not worried about being unqualified because God already qualified me. Right? God in his mercy said, I don't need you to earn my kindness. I don't need you to deserve that. I've got you. Like I've already said you are worth this. And so I don't have to question my value. My value isn't in my skill set. It's not in what I can do. It's in the fact that I'm a child of God and he felt like that was enough to to die on the cross for me. And my skill set does not change that or my lack, my perceived lack thereof. Right? There's you are not more or less qualified. The person who who can do it all, who seems to be able to do it all, who by the way A few years ago probably couldn't do it all right and had to learn a lot of that stuff but the one who looks like they've got it all together isn't any more qualified than i am when i feel like i can't do anything right i am not qualified by my skill set and when i understand mercy i don't have to wallow in my mistakes i don't have to think all the time about the things that i've done or the the past that i've had right because mercy says i don't have to deserve my forgiveness right in fact i can't deserve my forgiveness and we're all in that boat. And so we all need to know that. And so God knew, God knew about my mistakes. We didn't spring those up on him later. Like we, you know, put on this facade on the first date. And then all of a sudden we're married and we're like, whoa, I didn't know I was getting into that. You know, like that's not, that's not how God works. He knew all that stuff. We didn't hide anything from him. He knew all of it going in. And, and yet he still forgave us. So there's nothing that's going to come up later. He's going to be like, oh, man, if I'd known that, I wouldn't have let you in. Right? Like he knows all that. There's nothing, we didn't have to deserve it. He looked at us in all of our mess and he said, you deserve my, even if you don't deserve my forgiveness, it's coming your way. We were all forgiven a debt that we couldn't repay. And so none of us have to worry so much about ourselves and, and what we're worth because God's already given us our worth. And so that's why in Galatians 1, 13 and 15, this is what Paul writes. He says, you know what I was like because he didn't hide his history. He said, you know what I was like, how I violently persecuted Christians. I did my best to get rid of them but then something happened, for it pleased God in his kindness to choose me and call me even before I was born. What undeserved mercy. See, Paul had a dark history. He was actively working against God. He was actively helping to imprison and kill Christians, and now he is one, and that's super awkward, right? Like, that's not great. That's a, that's a history maybe you don't want to publicize, but Paul didn't hide from that. In fact, three of the most important names in your Bible Paul and David and Moses, who were like pillars of the faith, were all murderers. All of them killed somebody like, unjustifiably. And yet, they hold some of the most important positions in church history. Right? God was able to use them in spite of their baggage. If God's mercy is my motivation, and this is why it's important, if God's mercy is my motivation, I will experience transformation right? If I am my own motivation, I will experience temporary change, right? I will do something different for a few weeks until I get super tired of it, and then I will do something different, right? But if mercy is my motivation, if I am changed on the inside by how someone has loved me, then I will be transformed. And just about every hero in the Bible has something difficult or shameful to overcome in order for God to use them. In 1 Corinthians 15:10, it says, whatever I am now It is all because God poured out such kindness and grace upon me, and not without results. For I have worked harder than all the other apostles, yet actually I wasn't the one doing it, but it was God working in me. Listen to this list and see if I catch you on one of these, all right? These are some of the things that heroes of Scripture did that they had to overcome. Abraham, super old. Jacob, chronic liar and a coward. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was abused. Moses had a speech disability. Gideon was poor. Samson was codependent. Jonah was fearful and reluctant. Jeremiah was depressed. David had an affair. John the Baptist was eccentric. Peter was impulsive and had anger issues. Martha had anxiety, and Thomas was filled with doubt. Did I miss anybody? Right? That's all of us. That's, that's pretty much the book, right? There's All of those people that I just listed did incredible things in the kingdom of God. They walked into people's lives, and they loved them passionately, and their lives were transformed because of it. All of those people, all of that mess that I just laid out was transformed in a way where they were able to have a significant impact on the lives of others. Why can't you be used by God? If he can use those people, there is no reason why you can't be used by him. But we've got to have the right motivation. Every saint has a past, and every sinner has a future. Amen? Every saint, and when they say saint, I'm not talking about like, you know, light the candle and all that. I'm talking saint in the, in the Bible, saint just means Christian. You're all saints, right? Congratulations. All right. Um, we've all got a past, and we all have a future when we surrender to God, but he's the one who does the work, and that's why surrender is necessary. In Ephesians 2.10, it's, it lays it out real clear. It says, it is God himself who made us what we are and given us new lives from Christ Jesus. And long ages ago, he planned that we should spend these lives in helping others. God planned it all out. He made it work. And the point of him doing all of that was so that we could help other people. That was the whole point. It's why we exist. It's what we do. It is God's mercy who brought us back at great cost. And it is God in his mercy who is able to give us a purpose that's greater than anything I could have thought of for myself. Right? That is so much better than what I would have envisioned for myself. When I grew up, all I wanted, honestly, all I wanted was a job where I could clock out and not have to think about it anymore and then just do whatever I wanted after that, right? That's what, that was my grand dream, right? I'm not very imaginative. Right? That's what I wanted. My mom worked long hours. My dad worked long hours. I just want to clock out and do what I feel like doing. Honestly, I tried it. It's not great, right? Like, it's not that exciting. You get real bored. Um, it's, it's not as fun as you would think it was. And ever since then, ever since I've surrendered to God, I have never been more busy. I have never done more off-the-clock than I have since God got a hold of me. And I have never been more happy or fulfilled or purpose-driven in my life. And so I wouldn't trade that for, it was better than my dreams. It was something I would have been horrified by if you'd shared it with me when I was young, but I, I wouldn't trade it for anything now. So how do we stay useful? We need to make sure mercy is my motivation. The second thing we need to do to stay useful is to be authentic. Because, we need to be authentic because the kind of work that we're doing, you cannot put a smile on and fake it. Right? When you are in the business of passing out trays and, tra- and taking the trash out and opening the doors every week, you can put a smile on and you can fake that. But if you are in the business of opening up people's lives and loving on them fiercely and saying, I will not leave you while we walk through this, you better bring it and you better be real. Amen? You can't play at that. You can't fake that. You better be real. In Second Corinthians 4 too, it says, but we have turned away from secret and shameful ways. Right? We don't wear two faces. We don't use trickery, and we don't change the teaching of God. Amen? We teach the truth, and we teach it plainly. And this is how we show people who we are. And this is how they can know, that this is how they can know in, our, in their hearts what kind of people we are before God. Right? I don't have to pick certain verses and be like, man, I hope they don't read that one because they're not going to see that one in me. Right? No, I'm just going to lay it all out, and I'm going to try to model my life after that the best I can. Authentic authenticity is conforming to the fact, conforming, conforming to fact and, and being worthy of trust. I must be authentic about what God's Word says. I've got to be real about what He says. I can't hide from it. I can't pretend like it says something different, right? I've got to be authentic about what God's Word says and not embarrassed by that. When people come around us and they read what God's Word says, it needs to match up or the whole thing falls apart right? If we say we're one thing and then we go into Bible class and Wes reads something and everybody's head turns like, wait, we do that? Like, that's not good. That doesn't work, right? We need to be authentic with what God says and we need to be authentic about who I was and who I am. Both of those need to be out in front of people. There is a temptation to hide our past or our weaknesses, but that never ends well. It does not end well when we pretend to be something else. When we try to act like we're someone else to impress others we're stressed out all the time, right? I know this because I've, I've done a lot of work trying to wear masks, right? And you're stressed all the time because you've constantly got to keep up this image and you don't want anyone to know what your weaknesses are. You're, um, you live in fear of being exposed. Like people are going to figure you out. And then, and then we end up manipulating people and lying to people to try to keep up, the fa- keep up the facade. And it's not worth it. It's a stressful life trying to pretend like you're someone else. Better to be real Better to be honest, but we can't do that unless we've got a God who's merciful and accepts us where we are. In 1 Corinthians fifteen nine, it says, I am the most insignificant of apostles. Again, this is Paul saying this, unworthy even to be called an apostle because I hunted down believers and persecuted God's church. It is hard to find a letter that Paul wrote where he doesn't talk about the messed up stuff he does. He brings it up all the time. Right? And the reason that he brings it up is because it is easier to relate to someone's weaknesses than it is to relate to someone's strengths, right? If somebody comes up to you and they're like, hey, I climbed that mountain the other day. It was awesome. And you're like, good for you, right? Like, <laughs> I'm so glad you had that experience. Like, I don't feel closer to you in that moment, right? Like, okay, awesome, right? But if you come up and you're like, man, I walked up to this person and I said the dumbest thing. Like, it was, I can't even, I had a, one of my coworkers came in and she's like, I got to quit. I'm like, what happened? She's like, I walked in on someone in the bathroom. I'm sorry, we had a good run. I got to go, right? Like, it's, it's not going to work. I'm like, and when she said that, I'm like, me too. Like, I've done that. You know, I was like, we were best friends in that moment. So I'm like, I know that humiliation, right? It is so much easier to relate to people's weaknesses. And so what does Paul do? When he wants to connect with someone, he just lays it out. He's like, look what I did. And they're like, whoa, I didn't do that. <laughs> like, I did some bad stuff, but I wasn't that bad. Like, thanks, man. Like, I feel better already. Like, we're in good place. Right, And that's, that's, there's power in sharing who you are. There's power in being real and authentic. Now, you can't stay there. You can't be like, man, I slapped somebody yesterday. I'm going to slap someone tomorrow, right? Like, that's not good. That's not what we're talking about, right? We're talking about transformation. And so We're talking about being real about where you were and where God's going to take you and, when, and what God's done in your life and how different that is. Not because you're bragging about yourself, but because you're bragging about the God who got you there, right? And that is something worth boasting about. In Romans 8.15, it says, The spirit we receive doesn't make us slaves again to fear. It makes us children of God. The fact that we are a child of God is the opposite of being afraid. Do you hear me? Right. The, the, the fact that we are a child of God removes the fear of being real. The number one barrier that keeps us from being used by God and feeling the power of his presence in our life is, is the fear of being real with ourselves and being real with the people around us. That's what holds us back. My insecurity has done more to hold me back than anyone, anything anyone else has done to me, right? My fear of what people think of me has held my tongue more often than anything else. That's what holds us back. Don't let fear enslave you and limit you. Accept God's mercy, and, and his mercy allows us to look in the mirror without shame and see all of the mess in all of the good that he's done, and accept it for what it is, and share it with others, right? So to be useful, we need to be authentic. To be useful, to stay useful, we need to remember that it's not about me. I've got to remember that it is not about me. Everything in our culture pushes the idea that our life is about us. Even when we serve sometimes, it's framed as this will make you feel better about yourself or give you a tax break, right? Like there's There is all kinds of stuff that's oriented around you consuming and wanting things for yourself. It is so hard to fight against that current. But in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, it says, our message is not about ourselves. It is about Jesus Christ as the Lord. And we are merely your servants for Jesus' sake. You are not the center of the universe. God is. The universe is around for a long time before you, and it will continue to be around for a long time after you. You are not the middle of it. And that is good news, if I'm honest, because if you are the center of your universe, you will constantly be frustrated when things don't go your way, because it feels like all things should orient around your convenience, right? And when they don't, then it is a personal affront. It is a personal attack that you are in the way of what I wanted to do right now, right? And it is hard to live in unity with people when that's how you feel. You become unfulfilled because you lack a bigger purpose, because honestly, you make a poor motivation for your life. Right there is there are bigger things than you to get excited about, and ultimately you become bored because honestly, what's the point? If the whole point of my life is pleasing me, that's really not that exciting, and it doesn't take a lot, right? Like it, it just I get bored easily when I when I'm the center of my life. But God is the center of it. It is not about me. Look at how God frames it. He says in Second Corinthians four seven, Paul writes, "We are like clay jars, right? What a temporary thing we are. We are like these fragile clay jars." in which treasure is stored. The real power comes from God and not from us, right? When, when you come and you, you know, like Levi and I, my son and I really like root beer. We get really excited, right? And when you pour root beer, I'm not like, what an awesome cup that is, right? Like, no, I'm, I'm there for the root beer. I'm not there for the cup, right? Like, it's when someone, when you are a vessel for God, they're not there for you, and that's good. That's, that's not so bad. They're there for the Jesus, right? Like, that's what they're there for. They're excited about what's inside you, and that's what they should be excited about. And what's, what's true about us is that if we are clay jars, we are broken ones. We are all cracked pots, right? We are all, we all have our issues. We all have our flaws. We've been busted up a little bit, but what's really cool is that when we are broken and we are cracked, if we've got something shining inside of us, those cracks are where you see Jesus the most clearly. The cracks are where the light shines through, right? The brokenness is where you see Jesus, if I've got it all together, it looks like me doing it. But when I'm a broken mess and I've been open about that, and then I do something cool, you're like, that wasn't you. I heard your story, right? Like, I know you couldn't do that. That's Jesus. And I'm just going to say amen. That's, that's great. I hope that's what you see. Because we are, we are a church. There is nothing more powerful than a church full of broken people who know they are broken and are not afraid to use it. Amen? There is nothing more powerful than that. So I need to make sure that I remember it's not about me. If I'm going to stay useful, I need to recycle my pain to help others. This is the most important one. You got to have the other ones to get there. You can't do, don't skip to number four. It's the best one, but it's, you can't do it without doing the first three. But if I'm going to have all this awareness of my grace and my mercy, if I'm going to be authentic and real, I'm going to remember it's not about me. The point of doing all that is so that I can recycle my pain to help others. It's the most beautiful part of Christianity that everything I've been through or done can be used to help someone else. There is, there is nothing wasted, right? There is nothing in my life that is dead weight. Every experience that I've had, every word that I've spoken, even the mistakes, and sometimes especially the mistakes, are useful in God's kingdom, and they are useful to help other people. In 2 Corinthians 4.15, Paul, who suffered a lot and went through a lot, and didn't do anything compared to Christ, that all of these sufferings of ours are for your benefit. And the more of you who are one to Christ, the more there are who, to thank him for his great mercy, and the more, more God gets glory. If you have gone through something traumatic, it's there no matter what. If you have been through trauma, you cannot make that go away. And so you've got a choice to make, and it is not an easy choice. And I don't say this to minimize it, and I don't say this like it's an easy thing, but if it's going to be there either way, if you don't use it for something positive, it's going to affect you negatively. If you are not actively using it for something good, it will drain you and it will drag you down. But if you will use it for something powerful, if you will let God use it to help someone else, now you control how it affects you, and it doesn't control how it affects you. Does that make sense? You are If you've been through stuff, and we've all been through stuff, if you're using it, it doesn't use you. And that is the freedom when... Christ talks all the time about freedom, and that's what he's talking about. The freedom, he's not talking about physical chains. He's talking about that you will not have to be enslaved by what you've been through, that the things that drove your life and left you feeling helpless and adrift before do not need to steer you anymore, and that you can have some control because God has control, right? What did it say? Sin can't conquer you because God already did, right? We are conquered territory. And he gets to call the shots now. He makes the rules, and he's the one who says what our trauma can and can't do to us, right? It doesn't get to call the shots anymore. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, it says, All praises belong to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he is the Father of tender mercy and the God of endless comfort. And I need endless comfort sometimes. It says he always comes alongside us to comfort us. Amen in every suffering, so that, why? So that we can come alongside those who are in any painful trial. The reason God comes alongside us and heals us is so we can come alongside and heal others. And if you're not doing step two, you're missing the point of step one, right? The reason he heals us is so we can help others, so we can bring them the same comfort comfort that God has poured out on us. Comfort, that's right. This is how, this is how, The problems of the world connect with the power of God, right? This is how the issues that we deal with touch God. And and it happens. It's why our healing ministries, we we have healing ministries here that are groups that get together, that talk about things that we've been through or things that we're struggling with. And every one of them are run by someone who has been broken by what they're teaching and has been made whole, right? Every one of them is taught by someone who knows the hurt of it and knows what it is to be free of it. Right? That's powerful stuff, and that's why we do it, because it's all about being healed so that you can heal. The church knew this. The early church knew that that choosing to suffer for the sake of others is the best thing, and it's what Jesus did better than anyone else. And so they wanted to remember that all the time, and the best way they could think of to remember that was what Jesus thought of to remember that. And Jesus sat around at a table, and he said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take bread, and we're going to take for him wine. We've got juice back there, but he broke the bread and he poured out the wine and he said, this is, this is my body and my blood that has been poured out for you, that's been broken for you. I'm going to suffer so that you can be healed. And what he says over and over again to his disciples is go and do likewise, right? What I have just told you, now you go do that. He showed us the way to heal others with our love, to, to take the hit if it means that someone else can find their way home to God right? He showed us what that looks like. And so we remember this, not just to remember what he did, but to remember that we're to do the same, to go and do likewise. So let's take communion together. It's set up in the back. I'll pray, and then we'll come back and wrap up. Father God, thank you for showing us redemptive love. Thank you for showing us sacrificial love. Father, that when it came time for someone to take the hit, you said, I would rather suffer so that they could be free. And I pray that as we look at our coworkers, as we look at our friends and our neighbors and our families, that we would look at them in their hurts and in their mess and in their broken decisions that that look just like the broken decisions that we've made. And we say, I would rather take the hit. Father, I would rather be embarrassed. I would rather be vulnerable. I would rather them know my deepest, darkest, if it means that they can come home. Father, may we follow in your son's footsteps. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if I'm going to stay useful, the last thing that I need to do that I learned from Paul is that if I'm going to stay useful, I need to remain focused on eternity. I cannot be focused on the things of this world. It'll wear you out. Right? If this life is all there is, that's exhausting because there's a lot going on. The bigger your picture of God is, the smaller your problems will appear. And I'm not trying to minimize your problems because for us they're enormous and they're they're hard to get through, but I would love to maximize how big God is, because no matter how big your problem is, God is plenty big enough to handle it, right? You have not found anything that is beyond his scope. There's that dumb question people ask all the time, Could God make a rock so big he couldn't lift it? Well, I don't know that, but I know that you can't make a rock so big he can't lift it, right? You can't make a mess so big that God can't clean it up, amen? All right, so 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, these little troubles, and again, the guy writing this (laughs) when he says these little troubles i mean if you read his list of, of troubles like he's been snake bitten and shipwrecked and stoned half to death and and beaten over and over again and and exiled and betrayed and he's like all these little troubles you know are getting us ready for an eternal glory that will make all our troubles seem like nothing and the reason that paul can call his list his little troubles is that he realizes that human life is at most around 100 years. And when you compare that to the scope of eternity, it's really not that much. It's really not that long. And what you're doing right now, everything we go through in this life, is preparing us for something that is going to be the vast majority of our life, right? It's like when you're a kid, right? And someone, I heard a comedian talk about, like, if you slice the apples wrong, like, game over, right? They are way too thick. I cannot eat these, right? It's ridiculous, and it's the end of the world. When something goes wrong and you're a kid, we look at these and we're like, that's so cute. That's funny that they think this is the end of their world. And sometimes the reaction is not cute, but it's funny that, it's funny that they think that is the end of their world. And that's God, right? He is a perfect father. And he looks at us, he's like, you've got like 50 more years max, right? <laughs> like, you've got nothing to sweat. Like, this is such a small thing compared to what I've got waiting for you. And that's hard to focus on. It's hard to think about because it's so big, it's hard to even wrap your head around. Um, but it it gives us perspective. In 2 Corinthians 4.18, it says, so we don't look at the troubles we can see right now. Rather, we look forward to what we haven't seen yet. For the troubles we we see will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. This helps us in everything. When I am looking at someone and I am terrified to go and talk to them and introduce myself to them, I can look at it two ways. I can think, I'm going to see this person again, and I will be humiliated, and I don't want to deal with that. Or I can think, maybe i see this person like 10 to 20 more times in my life that's really not that long and what's at stake is them being in heaven with me forever or not right that changes the math a little bit it changes how important my embarrassment is in that situation it changes the perspective and we need a change of perspective often i don't just need it once i need it all the time right and i need someone to constantly remind me it is not that big a deal. Again, not to minimize, when someone comes to you and they're pouring their heart out, the correct response is, it's not that big a deal. Right, don't say that. Don't say, Adam said, I can just tell everybody it's not that big a deal. I didn't say that. What I'm saying is that there is a God, no matter how big your deal is, that can handle it. And, and what we need in that, the key to remaining focused all the time is a small group, right? That is what you need. You need a small group of people. It's gotta be small enough to where you don't get lost in the crowd right? But it's got to be enough people where there's multiple people that can keep you accountable. We need multiple people to come alongside us and say, I think there's another way to look at this problem. We need other people that give us perspective because without help, you will always focus on yourself again, right? No matter how selfless and awesome you get, if you are left to yourself, you will always return to selfishness. It's just, it's how we're It's how we're wired in that you have an enemy that would 100% like for you to be focused on yourself, whose main agenda is getting your mind off of the things of God. And if you don't have help, you are not strong enough to fight that battle. And so you will be left in his hands, which is going to turn you inward and miserable. And that's not where God wants you to be. It's never where he wanted. It's not how any loving parent wants their kid to be. Right? You want them to be free and powerful, not isolated and miserable. And that's how God feels too. That's why in Hebrews 10.25 it says this is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together as some have formed the habit of doing. Because we need each other. In fact, we should come together even more frequently. Right? Those times when you don't feel like meeting together, double down. Right? like That's the time you should be together even more. Eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate that day dawning. Right? Part of why Paul was so effective was because he insisted on keeping a small group of people around him, even when he got betrayed, right? even when one of his friends left him in the middle of a mission and left him high and dry, and he felt hurt by that. He was openly hurt by that, and the next thing he did was gather another crew around him and, and keep going. Right? He didn't use that as his excuse to say, well, I guess I need to be a solo act because this is what happened when I partner with somebody right? He said, no, I need to double down. I need to just be maybe a little more careful about who is in my crew, right? But he's, he, was, he stayed with his people. He always, every time he's in prison, what do we see? We see people visiting him. We see p- him asking people to visit him, which is hard to do, right? When you're in an embarrassing situation, it's hard to invite people into that and ask them to come around. But it's the time to double down. It's the time you most need to ask people because they don't always know. And sometimes we're in a situation where like, I walked in there, they saw my face. How do they not know that I am in desperate need of help, right? It's, we just don't know sometimes, right? Sometimes we don't know or sometimes I feel too afraid to even come up to it and I need a little nudge. I need a little help to come and say, I need a little help right now. And it is hard to do that in a group full of like 90 people. It's a lot easier to do that when you have a group of like five or six people that you know you can lean on and you can say to this small group of people, hey, I need some help. And if you are with them regularly, then you don't go that long. You don't have to wait three months before you bring it up, right, when it's already done the damage. And Ecclesiastes 4.12, is a famous verse, and it's true. It says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And three people are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken, right? Matthew 18.20, it says, Jesus says, for wherever, wherever two or three come together in my name, I will be there with them. It is not just about you being together. It is about when you are together, the Spirit of God is there and at work. Amen? And that's where the power comes from. That's why it works. Because when we come together, that Spirit is there. God knows that we need a support system in our lives. That's why Jesus talked about unity so much. Jesus didn't talk about unity because he wanted us to all sit around and agree on everything. Jesus talked about unity because he knew that We were going to go through some stuff, and we better have a community that can stick together even when it's tough, right? We need to be unified in a way where we love each other passionately, and the way that we hurt each other sometimes or the way that we make mistakes will still not break us apart, that we will still be able to stick together even when things get ugly. Don't try to do this life alone, amen? We cannot try to do this life alone. We would love to put that into practice. I have talked this whole time about how the Word of God needs to be put into action in our lives. So we're going to put our money where our mouth is. And, and when we say you need community, we're not going to just be like, hope you find it, right? Like we're going to say, here, here's what we're going to do. So normally our small groups are um, just for our members. And there's a reason for that. It's a time we're really vulnerable. It's not a time where we need consistency. But what we'd love to do for the next five weeks is open it up to say anyone here who is our guest and and wants to come alongside us, we would absolutely love for you to be plugged into that community and feel what it's like, at least for a few weeks, to be a part of people that love you and that you can trust and that you can be open with and be real and not be afraid to be open about your stuff. So that's what we'd love to do. We've got small group leaders that meet all over the city, um, even in Claremore, and and we would love for you to come and join us for the next few weeks. So I've been doing this every week. We're gonna keep doing it. Um, Small group leaders, if you'll stand up, if you're not holding a baby, and uh, identify yourselves, right? So come see one of the small group leaders. If you want to join in on this week, it doesn't matter if you were here last week, just come on in. We'd love to have you. If you don't remember who they are, that's okay. Come find me um, and, uh, and I'll walk you to somebody. So here's the deal. You hear a lesson like this, you hear somebody come up and talk to you from the word of God about how you are able to be used and how God can do mighty things through you and you come to a decision point and you can decide to either be like, that was nice what's for lunch? Or you can say, maybe I really can be used. Maybe my life can be more than it was. And maybe I can do something about that. And connecting with these small groups is one way to do that. Another way to do that, um, we're going to pass around our offering buckets for our members um, to give their offering. But if you're our guest, what we'd love and a really cool way to, to communicate with us in a way that maybe isn't as embarrassing um, is write down on your communication card that's in your bulletin and just say, hey, I've, I've been going solo and it is exhausting right? And I, I just need, I don't even know how to ask someone. I'm afraid to even come up and ask to go into somebody's house. And, and just write that down, and we'll come and we'll help you, right? If, if you want to say, man, I've got stuff that I've been, I've been wearing two faces because I've never felt safe, and maybe you shouldn't have felt safe before. Maybe you haven't been in a situation where you should feel safe being yourself, and now you've seen maybe there is a place where I can be myself. Write that down. Let us know. Whatever your needs are, we would love for you to share that. Put it in the offering bucket when our members are putting in their money, and in that way, we'll know how we can serve you. Um, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your relentless love. Thank you for loving us when we deserved at least, for being kind to us before we earned it, for showing us mercy. And may I, I ask, Father, may that mercy transform our hearts. May it change the way we look at other people. May it change the way we look at ourselves and our problems. May it free us from the hurts of our past and free us to use those hurts to love and serve others. Father, help us to be bold, to not be afraid and and stay hidden where we've been, but to walk boldly into your presence and know that you are going to accept us and love us and carry us through. Help us to be brave today as we accept your challenge. In Jesus' name, amen.